Good morning, Grace. Hi, good morning, and good morning, everybody. Hi, and welcome to our listeners in today's episode of Can You See What I Can See? Vicki Scott here, and today my co-host, Grace Hart, and I want to talk about separation. Mm. Now, this is a big subject, <laughs> <laughs> and we're not just going to talk about marriages or intimate relationships breaking up. Um and it's probably going to mean more than one podcast yes. once we get started on this, Grace. But, um, well, I can see a world where, you know, that saying we are all one, it's not just a cute thing to say, but it's reflected in every aspect of how we live our lives. What can you see? Yes, I, I love that. Um, we are all one and um, sometimes we forget that, don't we, when we're – I've noticed with people who are experiencing trauma, you go from a very expanded view to a very laser beam view and um and a lot of people that go you know become uh victim survivors it 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 just so focuses down on the survival and the the me and um instead of you know expanding out to see the world so yeah that's one of the things if we look at the trauma and become trauma informed we're going to take our vision from a laser beam or you know me to an expanded we often the case, isn't it? We think if um, if we just just stay close to ourselves and don't uh, look too far either side, then uh, we're safe. Yeah, it's that thing about we look to be safe and secure that you talk about. Yeah, I mean, there's the safe, secure, and supported from a, an expanded viewpoint, where you know you've actually done the work on yourself and you you know you've got a really good connection, like you do, to your gut. And then there's the more finite view, if you like, of um, safety, security and support where it's about controlling your environment on, okay, I don't want to experience this abuse again, so I'm only going to let this into my life or this sort of person into my life and or do this sort of job or not go out unless it looks like, you know, A, B and C is in place. And um, they're two very different energies, you know, and for me it's about inviting people to realise you can have safety, security and support. You don't need to be in survival, safety, security and support. Mm. You know, we talked about the the magic of us on our last podcast and when you live in that place of basically shutting down like you just um, said in a different way, then our choices do become limited when we avoid all those feelings or people will... Yeah, I mean, our choices become limited, our ability uh, to contribute to society, uh, to receive love, to receive friendships, um, to be a member of society. Uh, All of that is taken away when we uh, function from the smaller version of safety, security and support when we're we're reacting to trauma versus creating our life. Mm. That actually brings me to a bigger question about... um well, what is life about? Because why do we... <laughs> Good question. Does anyone have the answer yeah. to that? <laughs> Let us know. Well, maybe it's different for all of us because we all mm. come at it um, at different times and spaces and places and parents and cultures and everything that impacts that, I guess. But if we look beneath all of those things, then probably that's a, that's a bigger bigger podcast again. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's signposts to what life's about. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in if there's a lightness, if there's a spaciousness to your choices, 
that's more going to create for you from an infinite um, an infiniteness and um, creating a future that maybe is possible or that you know is possible that you're bringing in. And um, so I, I think if you feel a wonk in your world, like if so, it doesn't matter whether it's a, you know, choosing an intimate partner or a career or a job or even going out on a date or going shopping, it doesn't matter. Um, if there's a spaciousness to it, I think that that's where you're meant to be. There's an elegance to the universe and, and if the opposite is, is is the case too in that if it's constricted, restricted, wonky, weird, you feel, you know, strange, um, that's probably a signpost on, you know, don't go there. <laughs> You're not going to create mm. what you what you know is possible. Mm. And we actually look to others, normally those that are perceived to be more successful, have more power, more control over their life and look like they've got it all together to think that, you know, we make that mean we don't if we go into comparison. But you mentioned about relationships and things. I didn't realise that 30, I think it's something like 33% of all Australian marriages are expected to end in divorce. Mm. And then there's countless other relationships falling by the wayside. What do you think about this? And can you see something else is possible? Yeah, I mean, and that's just the the legal marriages. You know, there's so many relationships that are breaking up as well that you know maybe haven't um, they haven't actually uh, you know gotten married. Yeah, it's look. I think that um, ultimately every relationship's important, and um, whether it's you know with your kids or you know work, etc. And really, what we for me, it's all about creating. What can you create with that person, or what can you create in that position, versus you know, going into the polarity of the right and the wrong and the good and the bad and um, competition, for, you know, rather than creating your life. Mm. But our society is not really set up for that, is it? When you think about politics and you have people on different sides of the house and it is about, you know, somebody trying to look better, um, one party more than the other or how to, you know, and we as uh, constituents really then choose uh, what we think uh, is probably best for us or our situation, which is, you know, we become, again, insular and start to think it's very personal. So as, yeah. a, as a result of that, politicians have started to appeal to different sectors of the community. Exactly, whether it's women, whether it's, you know, um, people on benefits, um, yeah, the aged, you know, they, they tend to do that and... You know, it's one of the things that we're talking about today, of course, is separation and separating. And, you know, what I have noticed is when we don't like something, we'll separate from it instead of actually being willing to look at the energies. And I notice um, a lot of people will experience abuse, whether it's domestic violence or, or just conflict in general, because they've separated from those very energies. You know, I, I talk about that there's dangerous personalities out there. There's people out there that lie and aren't kind and um, have secret agendas and, and all of this sort of stuff. And what we tend to do when we've been hurt or traumatised is that we shut down and we sort of say, I never want to experience that energy again. And it's the, that very act of separating from those energies that then allows that perpetrator or abuser to come in and blindside you because you're not willing to see it in them. And so I always say to people, you know, even if you've got a boss or someone who's unkind or abusive, don't separate energetically from them. doesn't mean that you have to actually experience them. You know, I give the analogy of uh, an antenna. 
you know, you hop in the car and you have access via that antenna to all the radio stations. Doesn't mean you have to experience them. Doesn't even mean you need to turn the radio on. Um, But if you choose to, you can pick what you'd like. But it's important to have access to the whole smorgasbord rather than you going, okay, I don't want to listen to this. You know, if you got in the car and went, I don't want to listen to this and I don't want to listen to that, and I, you don't do that. You actually just come in and go, do I, you know, would I like, what would I like to create? What would I like to choose? Oh, I'd like to have silence. Excellent. Choose that. Oh, I'd like to have country music. Excellent. Choose that. And, but what we tend to do is when we don't like something, we'll go into the rightness and wrongness of the situation, of them, and we separate. And as soon as we separate, we have no access to, Um, the possibilities but we also have no access to see what's truly going on we've lost control and I always say to people the very energies that you fear if you fear them they have control over you which means that the people that perpetrate those type of energies will also have control over you so you don't want to separate you want to stay very connected to the energies so you know what's going on That's, a, that's been a big one for me. I know I had, um, as you know as well, I've shared with you, I've had some physical challenges over the last seven years or so. And it wasn't um, it, some of these things. I know Dr. Gabor Mate talks about a trauma, which doesn't isn't always huge in some people's life, but uh, it's something that our body took on as being an issue for our our particular um, being. And I remember reading a book about um, boundaries by Cloudon Townsend and my big aha moment was I realised I never had boundaries growing up. You know, I grew up in a large family and um, somehow there I just let myself um, go, I guess, in that I, I thought I had to look out for others and my needs were never even really in my world, thought of, it became bigger than me. So I guess now I can see what you're saying. It's it's good to become aware of all the energies, but particularly your own and where you start to have those boundaries that become a little uh, unclear. Absolutely. You know, I speak from that same experience. Uh, For me, I I didn't even know what boundaries were. Uh, I wasn't taught that. Um, I didn't have parenting in that way that um, said, hey, you know, like I remember taking an, an issue to my parents and, um, and I, I, you know, my dad is the most beautiful man. Um, but I remember when I was speaking to my other parent and um, and I said, I've just got a really bad feeling about this. I'm, I'm confused. I don't think I should be, you know, um, making this choice. And... And because she didn't have boundaries and she wasn't taught boundaries by her own mum, she wasn't able to be there for me in that way. And so I've, I made choices. And this isn't about blaming. It's just really understanding what's going on. It's like if you don't have the boundaries, then you don't know what's, what you can stand up for, what's your right. And, you know, for example, <laughs> I say to my kids, um, if there's anything that you are questioning, there's a reason for it. And, and what we tend to do is we separate from the stuff that we don't want to know. And um, whereas I say, let's have these vulnerable conversations. Let's look at what is it that's making you question this relationship or this, you know, this choice. And, um, and trust that awareness. And I think that the, well, not I think, I know that 
the only protection really that we can have and teach our children is to have their own awareness and not to put anyone else's awareness above their own. Sure, listen to the experts or you know get advice from other people's awareness. But what we tend to do when we don't have boundaries is we, we put our trust in others uh, because we don't have any boundaries and we ask them for help. And, uh, you know, if they don't have their back, how can they have yours? And, I um, mean, you know, I went on a lifelong <laughs> journey of developing the skills to have my own back because I wanted to be able to have the backs of my kids and, and people that come to me. And I can say I have that now, but it, it's been a journey. Mm. Yeah, I really get the connection. You, you know, I, if we talk about I have a, a, a good gut uh, awareness yeah. around many things, but what now that I look back on it, whilst I had the awareness through my gut, I didn't have the boundaries or the knowledge or the vocabulary around that to be able to say, no, Vic, you matter too. So... Yeah. Even though my gut may have been telling me one thing, my head was telling me something else and I didn't get the connection at that time. So I hear what you say. You've really got to be open to hearing the good, the bad and the ugly, haven't you? Or having the awareness around the lot. Yeah, and look, and when we've had, you know, trauma, um, we don't want to. And it's understandable because we're in such pain. You know, I I know that... um, um, one of the the beautiful things about um, Pete Levine, um, or Peter, Peter, I should say, Peter Levine, um, he talks about trauma in the body and the somatic, you know, and and he says that for you to actually even be open to addressing the trauma in the body, it's so overwhelming. And 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 for example, if you had a, a near death experience or a life threatening experience, and that's been locked in the body. Well, for it to come out energetically, there is that experience again. As it goes in, it comes out. And so you don't, you, you don't want to feel like you're dying again. However, one of the things that he says that I absolutely agree with is that if you leave the trauma in the body, it will become pain. And pain is disassociated parts. So in other words, you've disassociated from that part of your body. And when you disassociate, it doesn't mean that it's gone away. And that's what leads to all these chronic illnesses down the track. And what I, I love that he says is if you don't do it, that's what happens. You'll just over time develop these symptoms, you know, from migraines to skin problems to chronic fatigue, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right through to rage and, and domestic violence, whatever it is, and auto, you know, autoimmune diseases. He says, but what happens is the body because it understands it's got the trauma in there and it needs to come out, your body and being start to seek people, events, circumstances, situations to heal that. And if you're the sort of person that thinks, why does this keep happening to me? Why do people keep lying to me? Or why do people keep abusing me? Or what is it that I just can't get off the ground? Or whatever your thing is, I can't lose weight, I can't you know, get enough clients. Wherever your suffering is, his... Um, experience is that that is the body's way of saying, hey, I have this trauma and I'm going to bring in external um, support and that support can look like a a terrible incident, a a conflict, you know, um, abuse. So the body can let go. And, you know, one of the examples he gives is um, 
of a pigeon. He, he, he says, you know, imagine if you walk up to a pigeon very gently and just turn them over, they will go into um, a choice of fighting you, flight or freeze. Now, because you're holding them and you're bigger than them, they can't fight you. They know that instinctively. They can't flee. So their only choice is to freeze. And he calls it the immobility response in animals. And he said, so in that example, you've gone up to them gently, you've turned them over, they've chosen freeze, which is the correct response. They have no access to anything else. And then when you let them go, there's just a very brief moment um, of them still choosing that, that freeze, that mobility play dead. And then they just get up and they're just on with their day. There's no other signs of discomfort or anything like that. They might have a little shake and that's it. And then he says, but if you go up to them and you frighten them and then you turn them over, he says, when you finally let them go, they stay in the freeze for longer. And he says, and then there's the next example where you are chasing them. You're really frightening them. You almost get them. You touch them. You grab them, but let them go. And it's this drip-fed continual trauma. And then you turn them over. And he says, with those animals, when you do that, they last a very, very long time in that freeze position. But when they come out of it, you'll either get pecked, they will respond in a crazy way, like you know, flying into windows or walls. Um, they're just erratic. And he, he describes it as when that bird is held down, it wants to flee. It is desperate to fight and flee, depending on you know, what, what it's choosing. But it can't. It knows it needs to stop and pretend and play dead. And he equates it to having your foot on the accelerator and the brake at the same time. And depending the level of trauma, for example, um, just a bit of a trigger warning here, if you're held down with rape and you know that you need to comply for your own safety, you're equally going to have the, the, the energy of wanting to bust through and fight and scream, but you know you can't. And he says, and that coils up as an energy. And what normally happens is after that, they'll be shaking, they'll be crying, they'll be shuddering. And in the animal kingdom, that's what they do. And depending on how long they've been held down or whatever it is, they will shake or, <clears throat> you know, excuse me, do what's required. And unfortunately, as humans, we tend to suppress that. We don't, we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want to shake or sob or do whatever we need, need naturally to do. And, you know, an example is coming out of anaesthetic, how we'll shake and shudder. And, you know, sometimes we um, are given medication to stop that. And what Peter's saying is, no, that is a natural way to let go of the trauma. And if you don't, then what will happen is you've got this locked in you, you'll get sicker and sicker and sicker, or get something and you think, what's that about? I've, you know, been eating healthily, how come? And um, so, yeah, I know I've been talking a while, but I'm just really passionate about his work and he's mm. amazing, you know, if I... When yeah. pe- <laughs> well, it's actually, you know, there's a lot there in what you've just said, but, yeah. you know, we've talked before about Brene Brown's work around shame and vulnerability. Oh, yeah. I, you know, in terms of, like, you just mentioned a, an instance there, but there are many instances where, as well, at some more serious physically than others, but the impact on the body is the same and it triggers a moment of shame in some people. Um, But 
I know we've talked before about, well, shame really can't exist unless we keep it alive. So it's an emotion that gets locked in there. We haven't had an opportunity. We haven't felt able to actually shake it off or to do whatever. So... You know, that, yeah, what do you that, think about that? Yeah, that reminds me of a moment. I was I was listening to an audio of um, Pete Levine and um, and he was talking about when when you have had the experience, which is for me it's freeze. That's what I did. I just freeze. And um, and he says you've got to realise just like the animal, you know, that's being preyed upon, it wanted to flight. It wanted to flee. It wanted to fight. But the, it did the right thing by freezing. And what happens is we go into wrongness and shame, and I know I did, you know, because you want to um, run or you want to, you know, help people or whatever it is that you're, you know, the fight, the, the flee or whatever it is. And when you don't get that chance because your awareness is greater that you need to freeze, there's a shame. I should have been there for them. I should have helped them. I should have stood up for myself I should have gone to the police or I should have you know signed that shouldn't have signed that contract or whatever led to that you know shame and and exactly as you said it's it's about speaking you know I love Brene she talks about that there's three things to do that you know shame cannot exist when there's um well how can I put it if you keep secrecy you keep silence and you keep the judgment then you've got the shame but if you speak up and you stop judging yourself, because maybe just like that example of the, the, you know, the prey, you did the right thing. If you froze, it was not because you've done the wrong thing. You froze because you knew you could fly. You knew you could free, for, uh, free uh, sorry, flee. But your awareness was to freeze and trust that, even though, of course, you might have wanted other choices. And so, you know, for me, shame is huge and it's a cause of so much. So much pain. Yeah, pain, suffering, disconnectedness, Mm. um, illness, all of that, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, we're talking about separation today too and, you know, trauma is about that loss of connection, isn't it? So we yeah. separate from ourselves probably at that time when those traumatic events happen and yeah. you bury something. Yeah, you separate from your body, you separate from you know society, family members, um, and you also disconnect from your body. It's very, very common that you'll have um, left your body and disconnected from your body. Yeah. It's hard to recognise, isn't it, really, when you you don't know what's going on inside somebody else's body unless it's obvious uh, you know like outside but all this could be happening inside and they could look like they're just standing still or sitting somewhere quietly without knowing exactly what's happening inside them yeah I mean look there's a lot of talk on mental health at the moment you know with the, the tennis player and the gymnast and everyone's having their their judgment on it and you you can't mental health is complex and just like victims of crime victim survivors they can demonstrate very differently if they're if they're disassociated they could laugh they could have a weird smile you know they could be angry they could be numb and you can't judge it and you know I remember seeing an interview um speaking about 
uh, the tennis player Naomi and saying, oh, she's just making it up. And you, you can't do that. You know, you don't know what's in someone's um, mind. And I, I remember seeing, you know, years on interviews um, and you can tell she has anxiety issues, you know, because that's my field. I can tell. You know, I saw an interview with her, with Ellen, and you could tell she was struggling. And this was years ago before even her speaking about anxiety. Whereas somebody that isn't trauma-informed might look at her and say, oh, she's done all this public stuff and, you know, it's, it's, she's just making it up or whatever. And it's so harmful because you do not know how close to the edge of suicide or, um, you know, all these self-harm, whatever it is, you don't know. People put on a brave face. You know, I, mm-hmm. I planned the day and time that I'd kill myself. And if you were looking at me, you probably thought I was handling things quite well, even though it was mm-hmm. traumatic. You don't know. And, and, I, and that's where, you know, when I talk about the world that I see, judgment to me is, is the killer. Judgment is the biggest disease on this planet. And instead of asking questions like, is she making it up? Let's ask how we can create a different world. What is required here for, you know, um, tennis people in relation to their duties or whatever it is? Let's Mm -hmm. look at creation rather than Mm. conflict or judgment. Mm. I I, I do think some of that is as a result of us not really, um, we're not connected with ourselves, so we go Mm. into a place of judgment often with that, but... um, I also think that even just the way the language is used these days, we use some words more loosely than we probably should. Like sometimes we can just say, oh, I had a traumatic day at work. Yeah. But, you know, that's not okay really. You know, I know that we've often talked about, you know, that's quite misleading because, you know, whilst it's true that all traumatic events are stressful, it's all stressful events are not traumatic. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And when we use that, yeah, I don't think we do ourselves any service when we when we do let those words go. And sometimes we mean it in a humorous way, um, but I think it's something for me I've just become more conscious of that I'm trying to curb the way I can do that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing. We, we don't, I'm all for a trauma, <clears throat> excuse me, trauma-informed society. And um, I think just as, as people, you know, I remember <laughs> um, looking at doing an event as a singer and um, they asked me to come in and they said, um, okay, well, you know, if you can get on stage 10, 10 minutes beforehand. And I said, um, I said, sure, no problem. I said, but um, where's my... Like what, what? When do I come in to set the equipment up and do the sound check? And they said, "Oh." And they said, "Well, how long do you need for that?" And I said, "Well, there's there's all the leads and the instruments and the connecting to the keyboards and the speakers and the fallback." And they're like, "Oh." And then you got to cover it all up. You know, you got to tape it all down for safe, you know, health and safety. And then you've got to make it all pretty by covering it with nice, you know, material. And they said, oh, my gosh. And, and they said, you know, I never, it never occurred to me. I just thought you'd, you'd just be able to just whack that together. <laughs> you know? So I think mm. it's, I think it's um, no matter what position you're in, what job or role you have, uh, there's going to be elements that people just don't get and, um, mm. and, and what they have to go through. You know, like our first responders, for example, you, you don't get the level of stress 
And so, you know, I know many first responders and they've got the, the blackest humour that if they heard, you know, if the general public heard the comments that were made, they'd be mortified. But this is a coping mechanism. It's not to create harm. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. we need to be careful on whether um, we, throw a, we throw around words like trauma. Trauma is when you've either had one or a drip-fed um, experience where your life is in danger. It is, it is um, the most horrific, um, life-changing, traumatic experience. And, um, and it doesn't matter whether, you know, science has proven and it, that it doesn't matter whether you thought about it, heard about it or experienced it, you can have a traumatic response to it. And I think that's where, you know, someone saying, oh, come on, get over yourself or, you know, step up a lift. Um, you, c- you can't have these comments for someone who's, for example, got post-traumatic stress. It's an unkindness. Because mm. as you say, it's not necessarily that you've experienced it physically. It may be something you've seen or witnessed yeah. um, happening. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a client. Um, it was a five-year-old girl and... Um, she was totally um, toilet trained and then all of a sudden refusing to go into the toilet. And at that moment I had studied sand tray therapy and she came in uh, with that. And um, anyway, I just got her to – sand tray therapy is beautiful and that there's, there's no words really. They just do what they do and you just ask questions about the characters they put in the sand. And long story short, what happened was she heard – sorry, she saw a news report. We had floods here in Australia. And they had a picture of a, a um, of a whirlpool going down, and they talked about how she saw a car being sucked into it, and a person was standing on top of the car and was saved just in the nick of time, and she equated that swirl with the swirl of the flush of the toilet, oh and so goodness. she didn't want to go on the toilet anymore, and as soon as we got that information and and expressed to her the the difference that she couldn't be sucked down. And in fact, you can get off the toilet and press the, the button if, you know, if she has that anxiety, she was back to toilet trained again. And this is where we, mm-hmm. it's complex. You know, I've mm-hmm. heard, I've heard in research material, you know, the, the, the lion roaring at the start of movies, that's actually terrified some, uh, a kid. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just don't know. It's, it's, it's the stacking that happens. It's incredibly complex. And so for you to even begin, to, you, you can't put yourself in shoe, you know, someone else's shoes to the extent that's required. You know, I've got a um, very, very close group of friends and they all know that I experienced horrific domestic violence and it wasn't until I went to a, um, a, a DV course that I realised, wow, these women are listening in a different way to my best friends even. They have, my best friends have empathy. They are so sad that I went through what I went through and they get that I'm, you know, I'm brave and all of that. However, the level of being able to be heard and, um, and this wasn't talk, a support group. We weren't actually talking about our individual experiences. It's just that until you've actually been and experienced domestic violence or experienced you know, stalking or experienced rape or experienced you know, whatever it is that you've experienced – you're never really going to get it. The best you can do is become trauma informed, so you so you get that, and you can get a healthy way to respond. You know, for example, if 
someone's having a post-traumatic stress disorder, the best thing you can do straight up is to validate their reality. And don't tell them mm. it's not happening. Don't, don't tell them you're not there, you're here now. That It's not going to work. You've got to validate mm. their reality and get them to relax and then you can get into questions. Mm. So how do you validate somebody's reality like that? What would, what would you say first up? Well, whatever they're experiencing. So, you know, a lot of people think of flashbacks, you know, from an army situation. Um, and so, you know, let's just look, let's just choose that for, for ease. Um, so if they think that, you know, they're in war when they're really in a shopping mall, um, they'll exhibit a certain uh, reaction. So let's say it's fear. So you validate their emotions. You know, you'll say, I can see you're really scared right now or I can see you're really fearful right now. Um, and then they'll 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 engage with you. They'll say, "Yeah, you know, duck," and I can say, oh, "I can see you're scared, and you want me to duck." Okay, and then you duck. You know, because you're with them in it. You're not, mm. and it, it's as soon as they think you don't believe them, they're going to go into the polarity, the right and the wrong. You know, mm. and the, and fight fight for that, and that locks them. You know, Pete Levine's work is so magnificent. He talks about heart rates. And when you're having a post-traumatic stress response or injury, I love the way they say that, your heart rate goes up. Mm. And if you, your job is to get the heart rate back down. And, and the way to do that is to connect with them. And if they're scared, you be scared with them. You say, I can see you're scared. I can, you know, I can see you need me to lie, you know, lie down with you. Okay, I'm lying down with you. And then the other thing is, um, if it if it works, it's it's really complex. Um, you mm. have to you have to read the room, <laughs> but a lot of times they disassociate disassociate from their body. So if you can put some sort of pressure on their body, um, that can help as well. But it, depending on what it, the trauma is, uh, it could be the worst thing to do to put your hand on their body. You know, so mm. it's yeah, mm. it, it is complex. But the the very first thing is to just validate whatever. If it's anger, I can see you're angry can see you're scared mm. and then mm. they'll relax into oh it's okay it's okay to have these feelings mm. well you know it reminds me that's a that's a very big thing you're talking about there and as you say trauma is very complex and it is something we do need to talk about i remember dr gabor Marte saying he didn't have one lecture in med school on trauma and its impact <laughs> And teachers don't get any um, lectures on trauma. So what we're seeing in classrooms with kids with anxiety and ADHD, there is probably trauma underneath it all. So it's and in the judicial system, um, he also there was also something on the wisdom of trauma, the movie that there was they had all these people who were in jail in America and they did this session. A woman who had been in jail herself did this and. She asked the question about what happened to you, and this fellow, as part of his um, response to that, was he said it was only when he started to, he was in jail for first degree murder, and he said it wasn't until he said to himself, "What happened to me that I thought it is okay to kill somebody?" And he said, and that was when he really started to heal. And to me, that's what I would call rehabilitation. But our whole judicial and corrective services way we do business, we talk about, it's not about rehabilitation at all. It's just about more punitive measures 
and it's showing up in the recidivism rates. Um, people just, it's like the revolving door and we wonder why. Well, we build more prisons. So to me, it really is separation at, at its worst when we start to do that. Um, and, you know, Grace, I know my mum who, she passed away, she had bowel cancer and um, you talk about Peter Levine's work around how it shows up in the body. When mum, just before she died, we were sitting over a coffee and she said to me, I just wish my mum had told me she loved me. And I was gobsmacked because mum had never said anything like that before. And I knew her mother, my nana, and I knew how in awe nana was of mum. She just adored her. But she didn't have any vocabulary to tell her because of her trauma. <laughs> she was born out of wedlock back in the early 1900s. And, and you really see how this is a stacking thing generationally, isn't it? Um, yeah, definitely stacking. And, um, and, and of course, at that time too, so much shame. Shame, absolutely. Mm, and you know, we so it's time to do something different, isn't it? It is. You know, we'll, we'll separate from not hearing things. And you know, for example, I um, Russell Brand said, you know, for example, drug addicts, then they're, they're not pretty. You know, they're not popular, and we don't really want to know about it or help them, um, or whether it's alcoholism. And um, but we need to not separate from this re- from the reality that. People are hurting. People are in trauma. And, you know, as Pete Levine says, it's like if we don't educate our children and our society with this, what ends up happening is that people will create events like murder or create problems or create conflict. And they don't even – they're doing it on autopilot. They don't even know – you know, a lot of them know it's wrong. Some don't, but a lot do, and they just can't stop it. They they know alcoholism, for example, is hurting their family. Or their anger, and um, and the thing is, uh, until we release this trauma, there's going to be this reenactment of trauma and reenactment of violence and suffering, um, because we're we're seeking that release of trauma. Mm. Well, what do you think then? We can only be responsible for ourselves, as we know. So. Yeah. In terms of home play over the next week, what's something that we can do to, for ourselves to help release, you know, trauma? Dr. Gabor Mate says we all have it it's in some form. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people um, don't realise they are in trauma because <laughs> they've disassociated and they've gone into the no feeling. They think, no, I'm fine with that, but they've really just shoved, shoved it and disassociated. And, you know, p- people in the war um, experience that. You know, it's not just the um, people that experience something horrific like a loss of a limb or a, a death of a, you know, a brother or a sister. Um, just the stacking of being at war, it, it's going to find you. Trauma's going to find you, just how and when. It, you know, and it's the same with, with us. We're being drip-fed with trauma. So I guess a home play, um, Pete Levine uh, has a beautiful one, which is very simple, and it's just in the shower. If you've got a shower head that you can, you know, move around your body, and if you don't, um, instead of using the water, just tap, tap your body. So with the example of the shower work, just have the shower go onto your palm of your right hand and just feel the water on the palm of your right hand and you just say, this is my body, this is the right palm of my body. 
And as much as that sounds super simple, you'll be surprised. You know, I had a um, situation where this client was, <clears throat> excuse me, um, almost fell off a cliff and the person grabbed them. And so all the traumatic memory went into the palm of their hand. We didn't know this at the time. And we just did this work where I just put my hand over their whole body. And when I got to their palm, it was just this energy of like, don't touch me. And, um, and so she ended up being able to do what, you know, he speaks about with the animal kingdom. For her, it was a heat and then it, she was just shaking her hand and then it just left. So going back to the, the, the shower, um, you just go down your whole body. So then it will be your forearm. This is my right forearm of my body. This is my body. And you go, you know, your chest and your legs and your tummy and your hair and your face. And, and as I said, if you find that there's certain parts of your body you don't want to put the water on, that's okay. If it feels like you can imagine the water on that part of the body and say that's my tummy or that's my knee or whatever it is. Um, but be kind to yourself. And sometimes you'll notice change immediately after the shower. Um, sometimes it can be a next day or a next week. You'll just feel a lightness or a change. Um, but you can also feel um, emotions come up. Um, you may experience some nightmares because sometimes the horrific injury that happened to you has to come out. You know, I remember um, I did the shower work and the next day I couldn't walk on my right leg. It was my ankle was really sore. And I was like, what's that about? And I broke my I broke a lot of bones <laughs> in a car accident and um and I did break my right ankle. And I was like, oh, and I just asked the question, is this the trauma coming out because of the work I'm doing? And it was yes. And as soon as I just put my attention on the pain in my right ankle, you know, because as Peter says, pain is when you are disassociated. That's why the pain exists. It's there just saying, hey, you've disassociated from this part of the body. There's trauma here. Hello. And, um, and, and it just left and it was fine. So that's, I think, a, a fun thing to do. Um, and a kind thing to do, but just be be aware when you do it, you know, don't do it just before, on the shower just before work, for example. Pick a weekend. Pick a time where if you did have a, a shaking reaction or a, a body sensation reaction um, that you're in the safety of your home or um, in a place and space that's um, you've got safety, security and support. Mm. Wow, you know, it's, you can feel, even just as we talk about this, um, there is an energy around it that is is uh, not very light. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you're saying this. Keep going. Well, because it, 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 to me, it just reflects why we don't talk about this. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And unless we're willing to have these uncomfortable conversations and most of us want to say, why do you need to talk about that? I don't want to think about that. But there are too many of us human beings around the world hurting where it is time. It is time for those difficult conversations, but from a place of safety, security and support. So to our listeners, if if uh, you are experiencing any of that, I, you know, we strongly recommend that you talk to somebody that you can trust. A specialist, yeah. a trauma-based specialist, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, and really get that um, you know it, if you keep the pain inside, you're going to keep recreating problems. And it actually, oh, wow, you know, that's what my mum did actually. She yeah, she obviously recognised she was in trouble and went to doctors who just prescribed Valium and yeah. Betasus, and it just pushed it down. 
yeah. to where she then got a mental health illness from the drugs. So that doesn't work. We do need to have people who are trained in trauma and Trauma release. And, you know, one of the beautiful Mm. things that Peter says, it's releasing trauma is not this screaming and yelling and carrying on. He's actually found that um, it's it's the subtle, the gentle release that actually creates the release of trauma. And that's not saying, of course, there's an exception to the rule always, but generally what he says is it's the effervescence. And one of the things that he gets you to do is, you know, imagine um, he talks about being uh, like imagine a lion um, and it's preying on a, an animal and just feel in your body what's happening. Are there are there changes in temperature? You know, are you feeling sweaty? Is your heart rate going up? Just pay attention. And same thing when, you know, someone's talking or you hear something on the news or pay attention because your body's always seeking events and situations to help you release the trauma. And if you stay with it disassociated, then you're just going to keep recreating. You know the people, for example, in DV where you get out of a DV and then you just go and you think you found someone really beautiful and ends up being a worse situation, you know, different but worse. Um, And you go, why? I thought I learned from that. And it's like, yeah, you cognitively learned from it, but the trauma in your body that is directly related to that experience needs to shake it off. And if you don't let it out, it's going to keep picking events, people, situations, circumstances to give you that possibility of letting it go. Mm. Yeah, well, it's I huge. totally huge agree topic. with that. It is very huge and I'm sure it'll come up again in future podcasts. So yes. in the meantime, to all our listeners, just trust that you know, you know what's required here. So um, ask yourself um, what's required for you. Well, great. Thank you very much. You've given me lots more things on the supermarket shelf to look at for this next week. Um, wonderful to talk with you. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And and guys, um, exactly what Vicky said, you know, this could be triggering, this conversation could have triggered you. Uh, it may open up, you know, possibilities for you. Be kind to yourself. If you are struggling, please get support. There's, there's support available now that didn't exist when I was going through DV and um, or any crisis so please know you're not alone as um, beautiful Brene Brown says speak it out it's the shame can only exist if you keep it quiet tell someone you trust ask for help help is out there and we're becoming more and more trauma-informed as we speak so look after yourself and if you're hurting in any way right now please look up vagal nerve breathing and on YouTube Um, we'll put a link in um, of you know of what that is and, and a book about that that can help you dramatically with um, any tension or or triggers. Okay, so I, I I feel and this is this is the uncomfortableness. You know, I feel like I just want to make it all right and and get the energy back up because I can feel the swelling and you know. But we sometimes we need to be in this uncomfortableness of this is what is and it it's okay and you're okay and you will get through it. And two more steps and, um, you know, reach out to somebody. Let us know how you're going and you're not alone. Have a beautiful week and we'll catch you next week. Vic, is there anything else you wanted to say? No. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye.